a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get moving with Maria. Inspiration to spend a few minutes each day to get moving on the small things that can make a big difference in your life. Thank you for joining me today for Let's Get Moving. Today we are talking about financial wellness. With me is Dr. Dan Pallison. He is a financial psychologist and host of the Behavioral Wealth Podcast. Thanks so much for being with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Maria. I'm excited to be here. We know a lot of people are struggling with their finances these days, but let's begin and talk about what is financial wellness? What what does it mean to be financially healthy? Yeah, there's there's a lot of ways that you could define financial wellness. I I think the definition or at least the area that makes the most sense when when understanding financial wellness is really just peace of mind. Do do you or does someone have peace of mind around their finances? Um, That person could be considered, you know, financially well off. So it really doesn't have to do with the amount of money you have. I think that might be an older definition of like financial wellness or or being financially well off is how much money you have. But I think it's more appropriate nowadays to, to look at how satisfied are you with your life? How satisfied are you with your finances? Are you sleeping well at night? Um, or is something around your finances keeping you up? But I would define financial wellness as having, you know, having peace of mind and a high sleep factor when it comes to your money. Coming out of a pandemic, what sort of struggles do you see right now? What's the biggest thing people are struggling with in 2023? Well, interestingly, the reports come out every year and they evaluate, you know, stress and anxiety and and what's causing people stress and money's usually at the top it kind of rotates between money and relationship concerns and health concerns um but coming out of the pandemic i mean money was quite a bit higher than what we've even seen in the past so there are a lot of people concerned just about their finances you know some folks may have lost jobs or or the the job landscape has changed for them through the pandemic a really big one is inflation. I mean, that's something that we haven't dealt with really as a country in in decades, but seeing these inflation numbers uh, uh, in our faces, you know, become really high. And so just the cost of goods, like people are feeling that they're, they, they get paid every other Friday, but, but they see money, you know, running out every other Thursday or every other Wednesday, and it hadn't in the past. So I think just, the, just the cost of things being higher has really put a lot of stress on people through the pandemic. We've really had to think differently about how we spend our money. There's no doubt about that. When you pay $5 for a dozen eggs, it causes you to kind of reevaluate how you're spending your money. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And it's like inflation has been, I don't mean to just talk about inflation the whole time, but it's been like, we kind of refer to it as the silent killer in finance. Like when you're looking at your financial plan or building out a retirement plan, we want to factor in inflation. We know that cost of of goods is going to be higher over time, but it's been so reasonable that you don't really feel it. But 
over the last two years, I think people have actually been feeling the impact of inflation and it's scary. I mean, it really is hard to to uh, adjust to to the rising cost of everything. Okay, well, let's get down to the bottom line. And that's where some people go wrong. And what do you find is the biggest thing that causes people to really have problems with money? That's a great question. I think unwillingness to look at your true financial situation is what causes financial anxiety or or perpetuates our unease and, and angst and hopelessness around money. And at the end of the day, we need to be able to take an honest look of where we stand financially, as opposed to you know having a sense that we just don't have what we want to have, or we're not making what we want to make, but we don't, you know, we keep our head in the sand because it's causing too much anxiety to even look at it. And the result of that is just anxiety, you know, compounding in our lives. And, and so when I work with folks, I mean, the first thing I want to do is just take an honest look of where you stand. You know, what are you, what do you, what do you earn? What are you spending? You know, some basic budget uh, uh, skills and, and techniques. Um, how much are you saving for your future self, you know, in retirement or, or just down the road? And I think, I think if we're better about taking an honest look at where we are, yeah, it might be painful in the moment if it's not where we want to be. But from there, then you can make some practical steps to make progress in your financial life. So before we get to some of those practical steps, I, I want to know about how much our culture really impacts how we see financial wellness and what we think we should have, and, and maybe how that's different for younger people now. Sure, sure. Absolutely. I'm going to sound like an old man here, but I do think the the age of social media and Instagram and TikTok and all of these you know influencers that are out there showing you know, what you can have and, and how much to consume. And I think we're just inundated with these messages and images of, of wealth and abundance. And then when we look at our own lives, we, we compare oftentimes, not even consciously, but subconsciously, there's this comparison of how am I doing compared to my neighbor? How am I doing compared to others on social media? And it's just so much more invasive uh, it, this day and age, and especially for younger folks that are on social media more often. And I think it really leaves people um, feeling bad about themselves. It, they feel lacking as opposed to you know energized and, and optimistic and encouraged and motivated. Instead, they're like, well, these people seem to have it together that I'm looking at and I don't. And there's this gap and that gap really seems to be weighing on, on uh, especially the younger folks. So how do we get it under control? What are some steps that we can take? Uh, you talked about the, probably the first step is uh, evaluating where you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Shining a light in the darkness, right? It's, it's <laughs> taking an honest look to, of where you are. I'm a huge fan and advocate of automation and and systematizing things. And so when it comes to like, how much are you saving? If you can automate your savings, it's you do such a better job. There's so much research uh, out there to, to support this. I mean, you think about it, if you're an employee and you have a, a work-sponsored plan like a 401k, uh, every time you get paid, you can defer some of that paycheck into your 401k plan, your retirement plan. And so that's an, that's an example of automation. Even if you're not an employee, there's still ways for you to systematically be putting money away for retirement or for your future self. And, and I want to pause here too, because 
we, we, we have such a disconnect between our present self and our future self. So who we are today, we just don't feel connected to who we are going to be in the future or who we, who we are going to be in retirement. So when we're putting money away for retirement or for saving, you know, down the road, it feels like a loss. It feels like we're losing money. It's like painful to save it. We, we actually feel like it's a loss. It's not, I mean, we're paying ourselves in the future, and so if, if you can do a better job of connecting who you are today to who you are in the future, it'll be easier to say, but, but automating your savings, um, you know, automating uh, the increase of savings over time for a lot of folks, you tend to make a little bit more as you progress in your career. Uh, and so even having built in, you know, annual increases of, of how much you're tucking away, you can, you can automate all of that. And so if you don't have to think about it, there's no friction with it. And we find that we adjust to what we do have in front of us. So if you can automate anything in your financial life, I'm a big fan of that. So how much should we be putting away? And I know that's different for each age group. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, there's there's uh, there's contribution limits to a, some of these retirement plans. And so if you know what those contribution limits are, you can kind of work towards getting up to the top of those. But I think by the time you're in your 30s and 40s, it should be a goal for you to be reaching those contribution limits. Um, and, and those are like dollar limits. So like, for example, a 401k, if you're under 50 years old, you can contribute 22,500. If you're over 50, you can contribute, uh, what is it like 27 or 28,000, 29,000. Now, so, so those are dollar amounts. I think it's more helpful to look in terms of percentages. So back to the employee who's putting money away. I mean, if you're starting with 5% of your salary that's going into a retirement account, make it a goal that over the next few years, you're increasing your percentage, you know, by one or 2% per year. It doesn't feel as, as, as harsh of, of, you know, that you're, you're depriving yourself today of money that you, you could be consuming. Um, but, you know, 10% of salary is a good, just kind of general rule of thumb across the board to be putting away. And then once you get to 10, you know, try to get up to 15. So you're, you're always trying to increase it a little bit, but uh, I, I, I'm sure we're going to talk about this as well. But if you're doing too much, it feels too negative for you. You're not motivated to do it for much longer. And so we want to be careful of, of kind of burning ourselves out in, in doing the right thing financially as well. Right. The one thing about automating it, though, is you don't see it. It just comes out of my paycheck. I don't see it. It goes right into my 401k. And once I've decided on the amount, now I have to say I need to go back and look at mine, maybe increase it just a little bit because it's been mm -hmm. sitting at the same level for a bit now. Right, right. So something to think about. Okay. Yeah. I, I've got another tip. I, I It just came to my mind as well. I love this tip as well is naming some of your savings accounts. So I know we've been kind of talking about putting money away into retirement accounts, but if you have, you know, different savings accounts, just at your bank, but instead of it being, you know, your general savings account, you know, as, as a title, if you have kids, like name it, the, the name of your child, you know, little Billy's uh, uh, future fund or little Billy's college fund. And what we know is when, when we can start to put emotional ties even to our savings accounts, we're more motivated to actually put money into them. So being strategic with how we're naming our savings accounts could actually make it easier to save into them. So that's another great, easy tip to do. I like it. How about a vacation account? Love it. Yeah. Right? Even more like be specific. Where do you want to go to vacation? You know, this is your, 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 your Fiji account or your Hawaii account or your Aspen account. I mean, that really gets specific in naming it and you're going to be more motivated to fund it. Okay. So 
after we look at what we should be saving, pretty much paying ourselves first, right? That's what you're saying. Uh, Mm -hmm. Then what should we be looking at? I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. Well, saving is important. Uh, so so having, having money just being tucked away for saving. It's also, uh, and I'm going to be careful. I mean, I know this isn't a financial advice uh, uh, podcast and radio show, but making sure you're invested appropriately. So uh, there was a mistake that I made, Maria, when I was in my 20s. I was putting money away into a retirement account, um, and I thought I was doing the right thing. But I found out years later that I was just putting money into the default investment option, which was a very, very conservative option. So my money wasn't really invested in working. Um, So taking a look at what you're invested in, um, if you have 10 years or more, of a timeline before you need to start using that money, you can be more aggressive. If you're getting closer to retirement where you may start needing to use the money that you've saved, then you get a little bit more balanced, if not conservative. But it's just as important to know what you're invested in um, than how much you're actually investing month to month. Right. And I don't want to go too deep into this, but it becomes very complicated. For someone like me, I just look at the investments and I just kind of go, oh, no, I don't even know what any of these mean. I mean, Mm -hmm. I have funds that send me these big, huge notices for the year, and I I don't even know what to to even to look for when I look at those. Right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's, <laughs> it's bad. There, I admit it. <laughs> uh, it it is, and and not everyone is expected to be a financial professional, and and so uh, connecting with your HR department, trying to get a little bit more information about these funds. There are a lot of financial advisors out there that offer consultations to at least look at your you know your four hundred one k or your four hundred three b or whatever it might be, and and help give you some direction or advice. I'm a again, a big advocate of actually hiring a financial advisor, a financial planner, partnering with them, even while you're still working, um, is a great way to just make sure that you're on track. Um, and so having some kind of a professional second opinion um, to review your your investments could be really helpful. Right. I've turned to my HR for sure on that because they've yeah. definitely been a big help on that. Okay. So saving and investing, and then where do we go? I mean, we need to talk about spending, right? Right, right. Yeah. So spending, spending, let's, let's enjoy life. I mean, at the end of the day, what is, what is your money for? And actually, even right there, when I said, let's enjoy life, that is me imposing a value on money. So I would say, what's going to be helpful for you. And, and if you're married, you know, with your spouse, uh, uh, or your family is understanding, like, what is the value that you put on money? Because different people put different values on money. So here's some examples. I could see money as security, so, so the more money I have, the more secure that I feel, uh, and, and my safety net cannot be big enough if I'm really security-minded. And so f- I might be less likely to spend. I might have a spouse who sees money as an opportunity to experience the joys of life or, or facilitate connections. Not saying that money can buy love, but, but maybe using money to go on vacations with the kids while they're still at home because we want to create these memories. Neither one of us are right or wrong when it comes to our approach with money, but we have to understand we just have different values that we place on money. And so I think it's so crucial to understand like 
what does money even mean to you? Because once you once you understand that, and it kind of comes back to this idea of just shining a light in your financial life, it's also shining a light on your own relationship with money and how you see money. And once you understand what money means to you, you can spend in a way that supports uh, and aligns with your values. So if you're really security-minded, you you can still enjoy money and consuming money now, but you're gonna you're going to enjoy it more when you know that you have a good plan for saving and for security. For someone who's really joy focused, to kind of understanding that to them, money is just an opportunity to to enjoy life, and so 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 spending in a way that enhances you know these these opportunities these memories these experiences it's going to be a good thing so i know as a financial advisor we we get kind of a bad rap for advising clients don't spend money save as much as you can i'm kind of the opposite i i i say look at what money means to you and have a good plan through your life we're not just saving you know for when we're older and retired but how can we how can we enjoy uh spending money today I think you're right in what you said earlier that it's not sustainable to be saving if you're not enjoying your life, basically. Yeah, right. Yeah. So how do we balance um rewarding ourselves with some with spending, um, but balancing our debt ratio? What should we be looking at there? Right, right. No, that's a good question. And and the debt ratio, I mean the, the percentage, the it's gonna be different for every person, but I go back to I I think it's really helpful to have a written plan. So if if you do not have a spouse, I mean this is just by yourself, a written plan, you know, what what do you earn? What do you spend? Uh what would you like to spend? Uh, how much are you saving? So have it actually written out. Um uh and and what that what that'll do is it'll free you up in your day-to-day in terms of spending. This is especially important if you are, you know, if you have joint finances with someone else, so if you're in a relationship, you have a partner that you both are, are considering each other when it comes to money, but having some kind of a written plan, because if you, you can go back to it, you can reference it both when you're high and when you're low, you know, emotionally, uh, it, it's just a good way to keep you grounded and understanding, you know, how much you can be spending, how much you're saving, what are you on track for? Yeah, it's really tough. I think a lot of people uh, these days, younger people are looking at today. This is how I want to enjoy my money today. And it does go back to what you said earlier about, hey, how do you see yourself in the future? But I'm wondering how we get people or younger people out of that that kind of a mindset. Like how do they kind of shift to, hey, I need to be paying attention to where I'm going in the future. Because the earlier you start, the better off you're going to be in the long run. Yeah, yeah. I think it's important to have some sort of an emotional connection to your future. So you remember there was, there was this fad a while back, some app that came out that you could take a picture of yourself and then the AI would, would, you know, fast forward you and age you by 20, 30, 40 years. It would just show you, you as an older person. Um, it was kind of a silly app. You saw people post it a lot. I actually thought it was great. It was a great way for us to actually see ourselves in the future, see our future self and, and start to have that connection with your future self. So whatever you can do to actually feel connected to yourself in the future is going to be helpful in you making better decisions today. And it doesn't always mean don't spend money. You know, you get the Taylor Swift concert ticket opportunity. It's a lot of money. But what we know is, is when it comes to spending money, buying things as opposed to spending money on experiences, happiness is is kind of tied to and correlated with experiences. So you might be spending a lot on the Taylor Swift tickets, but that's a memory you're going to have for the rest of your life. And so, so 
understanding that, you know, rather than just upgrading the car, getting the latest gadget, but putting money, you know, aside and spending it in ways that can increase, you know, connections with other people and increase your experiences is going to be helpful for you uh, kind of in the long run in terms of your happiness and well-being. I, I hope that answered it. I know I, I went off the rails just a little bit there, no, but I, I think I it's all connected. I think that was perfect. As we wrap up, kind of what is the, your biggest takeaway? What can you leave people with? Uh, maybe something that they should start doing today that can maybe get their finances in shape or at least reduce the financial anxiety that many people face. You know, if there's one takeaway, it's don't do it alone. At some point in your life, connect with a neutral third party. So not all financial advisors are created equal. There are some out there that are just trying to make sales and, and sell products and sell insurances, you know, sell things to you. But finding, uh, you know, if it's a financial professional, maybe finding a fiduciary advisor, that's someone who's working in your best interest to at least meet with and, and have a consultation with. There's a phenomenal group of, of people, Maria, I'm going to plug right now. It's it's the Financial Therapy Association. So it's a, it's a group of certified financial therapists. They have a directory online. So maybe connecting with a financial therapist at some point in your life. The, these people are kind of a combination of financial advisors as well as like therapists and mental health professionals. And so especially if you're feeling financial anxiety, don't feel like you have to do it alone. Don't feel like you have to face it alone. There's a lot of professionals out there that can help you make some progress in your financial life. So, so finding someone to partner with either ongoing or at least through some kind of a short-term uh, consultation or relationship would be my biggest takeaway. So that is such an important point. I don't think people, most people think of their financial advisor as being a therapist. So to know that those two things have merged now is, in, is crucial for some people. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I, I We didn't get into my story, but in the past, I was a practicing clinical psychologist in treatment. So working you know, in therapy with individuals and couples, I've transitioned to become a financial advisor and a financial planner. There are so many more parallels to therapy and financial planning than I ever imagined. So absolutely. I mean, finding a good even a good financial planner, I'm not saying they are a therapist, but they can serve the role, you know, sometimes as a money therapist to you. Yeah, the lack of money is one of those things that makes us uh, most miserable, I think. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, yes. And it goes back to, you know, money, what, what causes stress for people in general? And money is always at the top of the list. That doesn't mean you can't have success with money. I, I think some of the most rewarding uh, conversations I've had with, with people and with clients have been coming over some of these money hurdles or money blocks that they have mentally and getting to the other side and feeling really motivated and excited or, or just relaxed. Maybe they were anxious and now they're feeling a lot more relaxed. And that's, it's so cool that we can turn money, which is a, a cause of a lot of anxiety and, and we can, with some intentionality, turn it to be something that's really motivated and motivating and encouraging and, and aligns with the values in our life. All right. Anything that you'd like to add that maybe I haven't thought to ask you? I'm beating the same drum, but it, it's partner with others, you know, find people in your life that we can, that you can talk about money with. So money historically has been something that we just don't talk about, you know, within our families, with our, with our friends, with our spouses, with our kids. Not that we want to put our money anxiety on other people, but I think if we can just as a culture, as a community, get better about being open about money, I think it's going to benefit everybody. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Maria. This was a joy. This was, this was great. 
My guest today has been Dr. Dan Pallison. He's a financial psychologist and host of the Behavioral Wealth Podcast. And thank you for joining us for Let's Get Moving. If you've enjoyed the podcast, make sure and follow us. You can follow us on any of the platforms you like to get your podcasts. Also, check us out on Facebook and Instagram to find out about the latest episodes. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.